When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you as we do every week, every day to be here with us and we trust that you are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Please be seated. I'm wondering this morning how many Kentucky preachers are wondering how to work in what happened at the derby yesterday into their sermons. Like, maybe Jesus is the replay booth or something like that. You're not going to get any of that. I apologize. Um, This is going to be week three of our should be depressing, but is actually not at all depressing series on the faithlessness of Jesus' disciples. If you recall, two weeks ago, on Easter Sunday, we talked about Peter. Uh, We sort of reviewed the up and down, uh, what we called the soap opera history of their Relationship of Peter's relationship with Jesus, the relationship that climaxed with Peter promising never to abandon Jesus, even if it cost him his life, only to go out and immediately break that promise. But of course, that wasn't the real climax. That wasn't really the end, no. The good news on Easter Sunday was that not only was Jesus risen, But he was going to keep his promises, even to the people who had broken their promises to him. Go tell the disciples and Peter, the young man outside the tomb told the shocked women, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee, just as he promised. So Jesus, in this great message left for his disciples, singles out Peter and comforts him, promising him that their relationship is not ruined, that, in fact, it was never dependent on Peter at all. It was always dependent on Jesus. And then last week, we heard a very similar story about Thomas. Thomas doesn't believe it when he hears the news that the tomb was empty and that Jesus has risen. And yet, Thomas's doubt doesn't keep Jesus from showing up to him. Again, like his leaving of the message for Peter, Jesus reassures, this time with nail marks in his hands and a spear mark in his side. He reassures Thomas and all of his followers that their shortcomings are no obstacle to him. He can and will overcome their doubt. Thomas is given faith by the wounds of Jesus and proclaims that faith aloud, right? My Lord and my God. And now we've come full circle back to Peter. He's fishing again, right? In exactly the same way he was when he first met Jesus. There's so much symmetry in these two stories. The exact same thing happens. They've been fishing all night and they've caught nothing. And Jesus suggests that they cast their nets on the other side of the boat. And after they catch all these fish and realize who it must be there on the beach, Peter, who is apparently fishing naked, 
gets dressed, leaps into the water, and swims to shore in order to get to Jesus as quickly as possible. Now, I understand this. If Jesus showed up, I'd want to put some clothes on too. And eventually, uh, the rest of the disciples get the boat with the fish into the shore, and they have breakfast with their risen Savior. And then after breakfast, we have this incredible scene recounted in John chapter 21. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter feels hurt because Jesus has to ask a third time, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Now, do you recall a few weeks ago when we talked about the Apostle Paul's assertion that all of the accomplishments of his life were now garbage compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. He listed, right, all his worldly accomplishments, his heritage, his education, his zeal, and he said that it was all rubbish to him now. And we compared that story, which Paul wrote in Philippians 3, to the story of the Tower of Babel, in which the descendants of Noah tried to build a tower to pierce the heavens, and to make a name for themselves. And we said, I like how we said as though you had some part in it. I said to you, but you agreed, didn't you? We said that this is something that we're all doing all the time. Building towers of accomplishment. To make a name for ourselves. To justify ourselves. In our own eyes. In the eyes of others. And in the eyes of God. But that these towers of accomplishment always turn out to be towers of trash. What I didn't say in that sermon about the Tower of Babel is what happens after the tower is revealed to be full, not of accomplishments, but of garbage. In the Tower of Babel story, the Lord scatters the people to the four corners of the earth. He confuses their languages. But just like we've seen over these last few weeks, this ought to be depressing, but is not actually depressing series of sermons. In the stories of Peter and Thomas, God doesn't leave the broken thing broken. God does not leave his people scattered. Our God, the God that we've gathered together to worship this morning, our God is a Redeemer. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Do you see it? So many years later, in Acts chapter 2, this is the redemption of Babel. The people scattered into every nation under heaven, but now, in light of the gospel, the risen Christ, the good news... Every language is singing his praises. Languages that were scattered are now unified. What God broke, he redeemed. There's another example in Genesis chapter 3. Once again, just like at the tower, God is breaking something. Adam and Eve have just eaten the fruit of the tree and are being thrown out of the garden. And the Lord pronounces curses on each of them. Curses that you know well. Animosity between men and women. Great pain in childbirth and toilsome labor. And he also pronounces curses on the serpent. And yet, what God is breaking, he will also redeem. Even in the midst of that curse, there is the kernel of good news. There is the promise that even though God is breaking something now, he is even now beginning the work of redeeming it. Listen to what the Lord says to the serpent. Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The offspring of the serpent might nip at our heels, but the offspring of a woman, Jesus Christ, will crush the head of the serpent. Theologians have called this the proto-gospel, right? The seed of the gospel, the gospel before the gospel, the seed. It exists even as the curse is being pronounced, even there, redemption is at hand. This is how God works. And it's how he works again. After breakfast, on a quiet morning, shortly after Jesus' resurrection, Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. See, something was broken. It needed redeeming. Just a few days before, Peter had been asked a different question three times. Aren't you a friend of Jesus? Didn't I see you with him? Don't you know that man? No, no, and no were the answers. But now, redemption is at hand. Like Pentecost redeems the Tower of Babel, Jesus here gives Peter the opportunity to redeem his 
denials. Three yeses in exchange for three noes. But please understand this. This isn't Peter doing three good deeds to make up for three bad ones. It's not Peter balancing his account with Jesus. This is Peter announcing the faith he has been given. This is just like Thomas's exclamation, my Lord and my God. Now that Jesus has left that message for Peter, that despite his promise breaking, Jesus will be a promise keeper, that despite all of Peter's failings, their relationship is on totally solid ground. Peter is now saying with Thomas, my Lord and my God, I love you. I love you. I love you. It is a proclamation of faith. But this is a faith received, not a faith achieved. When the University of Virginia won the NCAA tournament last month, a year after being the first number one seed ever to lose to a number 16 seed in the first round, the cover of Sports Illustrated proclaimed redemption. And that's fine. But that's not what's happening here. Virginia, through effort, redeemed themselves. And that is redemption of a sort. But nothing like this. Nothing like what our Redeemer does. Peter, Thomas, you, me, the whole sinful world are redeemed by the effort, by the accomplishments of Jesus Christ. Thomas said, my Lord and my God, because of what Jesus had done for him. Peter says, I love you. Because of what Jesus had done for him. We sing, we pray, we preach because of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus is our Redeemer. He has been at work since that proto-gospel in Genesis 3, crushing the head of the serpent and fixing the broken thing. Our separation from a holy God. His righteousness given to us, our sin taken by Him. In Him, we are brought home. In Him, we are restored. In Him, we are saved. Amen.